You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 330 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Gina Militia. How are you, Gina? I'm great, Val. Happy New Year 2021. Yes, Happy New Year to you too. Very, very (laughs) exciting. Let's hope 2021 is going to be a little bit better than 2020. Yeah, I do love this time of the year. It's this uh, sort of lazy time um, and, uh, you know, everything's just starting to come back and you've got time to just just sit and navel gaze and, like, mm. you know, look at light and there's no pressure and rush to be anywhere. I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, yes. think, think about doing longer projects or go on, you know, YouTube deep dives, whatever makes you happy. Or binge watch 38 episodes of a show. Yeah, I don't know how you could do it. Although I have been binge watching uh, car restoration shows, Val. That's just weird. I've turned into a rev head. I am becoming a rev head and I'm really, really enjoying it Um, And uh, because it's very satisfying to see them. They buy a a rust bucket (laughs) and they – bring it back to life and authentically and uh, it's fantastic. Rust to riches. Rust to riches. Okay, this is not uh, a no, sponsored not a car, ad. We've got a great <laughs> podcast, Learn to License Your Photos with guest Adam Taylor. Yes. And that's something you've had some experience with as well, Val, and I yes. thought this would be a fantastic episode to uh, kick off 2021 and uh, share with the listeners. But but before we start, Val, mm-hmm. um, I want to uh, just – so like uh, a few episodes ago I talked about how my Godox AD200 bit the dust when I was shooting. Mm. So what happens is when you're shooting with off-camera flash and you've got a light stand and you've got a very large modifier. So I'm using – I was using a large Octobox with the AD200, and even even though I had it weighted down, the gust of wind still knocked it over, right? Mm. So what you've got to be prepared for is it's not if but when mm. your your light will bite the dust. And it's like I, I, I also invested in uh, – I bought for Christmas, I bought myself the uh, Godox AD600 Pro, which I'm very excited about, but that's not a cheap light either. So you want to – Make find ways to protect them, and so now that my AD two hundred, I lost that, but it's getting repaired and it's fixable. But I want to, um, I want to find more ways to protect these lights. Mm-hmm. So, and I know we've got a lot of listeners that are actually either using speed lights or something like the AD off camera, and 
I, in my search, I found a few solutions for you guys. So I want to share those before right. we get into this episode. So basically, the cheapest I found, uh, or one of the cheapest, was Godox make something called the SR1 adapter. So basically, what it is, is this is uh, the, like a, a modifier that you're supposed to put on the front of your AD200. So the AD200 is uh, a rectangle shaped flash. So you can imagine a speed light that's been completely flattened and it doesn't doesn't bend or anything. That's what the AD200 looks like. And this adapter is something that you are supposed to attach to the front of your flash and then you convert it from a rectangle flash face to a round flash face. But some clever little cookie in uh, one of the um, uh, the places that I was checking out online <laughs> okay. came up with this solution. It was like a Reddit thread or something like that. I think uh, one of the other deep dives that I went oh, I've been on so many deep dives. Okay. On YouTube. You just get lost. <laughs> but anyway, this little SR1 adapter if you take it and put it on the back of the AD200 where the the uh, screen is, it's going to protect – because what happens is your flash, if it's uh, got the softbox on it, if you're lucky, it'll fall forwards and the softbox is going to protect it, right? Mm. But if you're unlucky and in most cases it falls backwards and the first thing that hits the concrete or the ground is the LCD screen. So it's like when you drop your phone, if you don't have the protector around the edges, it cracks the screen. So this little $6.50 device, if you screw it to the back of the AD200, when it, if it falls, it'll hit this, uh, this is a bumper first and hopefully protect your screen. So basically like having a, a protector around the back of your phone screen. So okay. I thought for the 650, we, because if you, the, the flash drops and it cracks, it's A, you might be able to get it repaired. My, my quotes come in at $89, so that I was pretty happy with that. But it's not just the repair, it's the downtime when you're without your flash. Mm. And then what if you don't have another flash when you're shooting? So you want to do everything in your power, I think, to protect it. So this is a, a really cheap workaround. And so uh, I, I think I'll test that. The other one that I really liked that I talked about, I don't think I shared it on the in the show notes, was something called a Flashpoint Silicon Skin Bumper. So it's just like a, a like a a skin that goes over the, 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 the flash and it protects it, but it's got this uh, raised uh, surface at the back so that it, this again, if you not, the flash falls over, it'll, it'll hit the bumper and not the LCD screen protecting your flash from being dropped. So that was another one. And the best one, cause you know, I love a DIY option. Oh, right? you do. So there is a YouTuber who I uh, stumbled upon and his name is Darren Shimshunabuku. Okay. You reckon I said that right? Probably not, but anyway. Right. And uh, and I've got a, a link. Uh, I've actually uh, put a link to his uh, DIY option. But basically what he did is using um, – uh, bits and pieces and nuts and bolts from the hardware store and an L bracket. He's managed to uh, rig up a, a, another little protector 
based on what you see with the silicon protector or the uh, the other little Godox bumper, but it's is made of metal and a lot heavier. And you, you watch him test it; he actually lets his flash bite the dust with this protector on it, and uh, it stays intact. So uh, the 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 DIY is not as pretty, <laughs> but you know. We all love a DIY. And the other one that I'm looking into that I'm going to test out is just by getting some uh, dense foam, uh, like really dense, hard foam, and I'll make my own little protector as well. So okay. I'm, I'm going to try that. And if I if it's successful, I will definitely uh, You love a good MacGyver. Guys. I do love a good MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully that helps and protects you because, uh, you know, the last thing you want is to have your flash uh, hit the dirt and be not like not working. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Okay. Is that is that your main tip of the week? That's my main tip of the week, Val. Protect your flashes. Yeah, a little bit of a little bit of you know a small investment will save you heartache down the track. And yes. what's been happening with the gold community? So we are working on. I've been doing uh, getting lots of uh, tutorials ready. So I've just been doing one where I'm sort of showing what all the different flash modifiers do uh, and how they look different on the on the face. So working on that, I've got some new uh, editing tutorials coming out, and then I'm just uh, getting ready for the next AMA as well. So just going to take all these guys to the next level in 2021, Val. Very exciting. And if you want to find mm. out a bit more about the gold community, have a listen to this. This podcast is brought to you by the gold community. I'm passionate about helping the members of the gold community. They're amazing photographers and I love seeing them progress in leaps and bounds. Here's what VJ Brito had to say. I think with you, the thing is, it's almost like I'm talking to a friend and your responsiveness is so amazing. It's like I have my own personal coach all the time. Hey, Gina, how can I set this up? Okay, and Gina is like right there discussing this with me and you know setting this up for me. That's really amazing. And it, it's such a big help, especially like on the days, like I mentioned, my first shoot, you know, that was, that's where I realized the value that you bring with this whole setup. And I'm so thankful to have you as part of my journey that you've helped me through and I look forward to, you know, being working with you through this next five years or thank, more. Thank you, VJ. It's like it's my greatest joy seeing everyone um, you know, progress and uh, you know, shine as photographers and I've got big plans for you, so uh, thanks again. If you'd like to find out more about the gold community, just go to genomilitia.com and click on join the community. All right, so this week's topic is learn to license your photos with our guest, Adam Taylor. Now, I'm so excited about this topic because, as you know, Gina, in the last year mm. or so, I've been become really, really interested in the idea of licensing. Mine is yeah. slightly different than I'm licensing my artwork, but I'm taking a photo of my artwork and, I'm, and that's actually the image that I'm licensing. Yeah. And... Um, a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned that there's a greeting card company, I think in Rhode Island, that uh, have licensed about six of my images. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, I'll be able to put share a link with that soon because we've been chatting about that and they're going to um, showcase me as an artist. And there's also a fabric company that's licensed one of my images. Um, there's a bunch of wall art companies that um, li have licensed the images as well. And um, – 
it's something that I really wanted to get into this year because yeah. I was really interested in the concept of licensing and because I wanted more leverage of whatever I created, whether that's a photograph or an artwork or whatever, um, because otherwise you sell it once and then that's the end of that potentially. But exactly. when you license, you can get ongoing income from it. So I'm so excited about yeah. um, this interview with Adam Taylor. Tell us a bit about Adam. Yeah, so I think this is a, a great one for all the all the photographers listening, and it's a, a real a, a little bit of a shift in mindset, and it's like we've really got to move away from this. Oh my God, I want to break into the industry. I'm just going to give away everything because if we keep doing that, we're not going to have an industry. So like the, the the and and it's not just the traditional way where it's you know client chooses you, books you for a shoot, and then you give them the. The, the files, Val, it's like there are other ways and Adam is really clever in breaking this down and running us through and gives so many great ideas. Now, he started his work like doing action and fitness photography and because uh, he's into that area himself. He's, he's a real fitness buff and he's working for like big brands like Red Bull and, you know, Monster Energy and ESPN and things like that. And then he decided – and this is where he, he sort of got an idea when he was working for these companies. Some of the shots that he was taking of, you know, athletes for the, for the like Red Bull and things like that, he was managed to license them. So he, that, that, that's where he started thinking about that. But he took that even f further and then he was looking at how, how can I – license work where I'm shooting for one client but license some of the stuff that I've done for this client without annoying them and make more money so it's not just a one-shot kind of a thing you can these these images that you take if you just sort of change your approach and your thinking to the shoots you can make these just keep keep on the gift that keeps on giving basically Val which is kind of what you're doing with like it starts as wall art you know as a painting and so if you you pay a premium and you can own the original artwork with you Val mm. but then you've found a way that to then extend that to create homewares and all sorts of things so this this is kind of that that style of thinking so he actually uh during the p pandemic moved to Hawaii and we talk wow. a little bit about that but that's when you know in, in between that he started shooting for these elite uh, homeware companies and tiling companies and uh, he figured out this way to license the work so basically in this episode we do a real deep dive in this and he and he takes us through how he broke into and started shooting sports and fitness and then um how he uh, d does things like uh, video resumes to get his face out there and that, how that got him his big break. That's right. really thinking outside the square because a lot of people like you, you must be getting, I get tons of emails from people pitching, but mm. you can't tell tone or passion in an email sometimes, can you? No. And so when you get in front of people with this video resume, I think it's a, it's a great way to go. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we talk about the photography side of things and uh, and then we really do a deep dive into the licensing and this thinking outside 
the traditional methods of doing, you know, working with clients. And then he, 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 he walks us through how to educate your clients and how we can get, and we actually do a ton of workshopping at the, at the, at the end of the episode together. Mm. And whereas I'm just like thinking, I'm like, well, what about this? Yeah, we could do that. And then what about this? So like, heaps of information. And if you're not enthused about licensing now, I guarantee you will be by the end of this episode. So shall we have a listen? Absolutely. Here is Adam Taylor. Adam Taylor, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, Gina. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to chat to you today. Before I start, uh, one of the questions I always ask my guests is, where in the world are you? I am in Oahu, Hawaii. Oh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> sounds amazing. And there's a story behind that. You, you've just moved like in the middle of a pandemic. You've picked up with your, your partner and your child. Uh, th- three, is that right? You've got a three-year-old? Yep, three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And you, you decided to move. What's the story behind that? Uh, well, the story is that we want to live our lives now and not when we retire. Oh, love that. So, Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a little bit of the backstory. I'll try to make it quick for you guys. Uh, my wife's father passed away about a month before he was due to retire. Um, he had worked all his life. He was an immigrant from Poland and just worked <sighs> hard his whole life. Uh, never really got to travel the world. And, uh, you know, he got diagnosed with colon cancer and passed away a month later. Um, so it was pretty tragic. And at that time, uh, my wife and I were, uh, you know, looking to get married soon and we were just dating at the time, obviously, but you know, we were looking to get married and we thought, you know, we should travel around the world. You know, you're, we're not guaranteed tomorrow and anything can happen. And we don't want to wait until we retire in order to go enjoy the world. Because as we just saw, you might not ever get to that retirement. Um, so when we got married, we traveled around the world for four months, uh, while my wife was pregnant, actually. Um, and one of the places on that honeymoon was Bali, Indonesia. And we fell in love with the tropical island vibe. You know, we loved waterfall hikes and we loved, uh, you know, snorkeling and freediving. And so fast forward a few years, we've been there a couple more times and we decided that we were going to take a year off and move to Bali for a year. And uh, if anybody knows anything about Bali, your money can go a pretty long way there. Yeah. So we thought we would, uh, you know, kind of live off of savings for a bit, but also, you know, pursue some online revenue streams and and see kind of how creative we can get uh because as a photographer um you know i'm not legally allowed to work there Mm. uh with like a tourist visa or a social visa or whatever um well we finally decided that we were going to make that a reality and we had a one-way flight to bali scheduled for march 29th 2020 um and as you know covid (laughs) hit and our plans got smashed in the face so you know really our dreams were, were pretty crushed and uh you know, there's a lot of people that had a lot of things taken away from them during COVID and, you know, deaths and everything. Um, so, you know, we were very grateful for our situation. But at the same time, you know, we had put six months of planning and preparation and energy and time and money into this move. Uh, and our dreams were just, you know, crushed right in front of us. Uh, we were just 10 days away from our flight. You know, uh-huh. everything was sold. Our, our bags were packed. Mentally, we were already checked out and we were already there. And so all year we've been kind of living in this weird, like, life on pause type of, of mindset. And we feel like we've been living with one foot out the door, so to speak. Uh, and we were just kind of ready to move to that next chapter of our lives because we were so close to, to that move and making that dream a reality. Um, and so eventually we decided, you know what? Uh, Hawaii is a similar place. It's got waterfall hikes and free diving and beaches and mountains and 
you know, warm weather all year. So on September 30th, we said, you know what, let's move to Hawaii. And November 13th, just a month and a half later, we were here. So we uh, very quickly kind of put the wheels into motion. I told my clients uh, bye-bye. I had to actually cancel a photo shoot uh, in order to move when we did. Um, and we just packed up and left. And now we're here uh, tracing, chasing that lifestyle dream. Fantastic. I, um, th- that, that's interesting that you say that about your, your partner's father passing, um, being the catalyst for the move. I, I, I had a similar situation. Uh, m- my dad also passed about a year before he was to retire. And I can remember my whole life him saying, when I retire, I'm going to go here. When I retire, mm-hmm. I'm going to travel. He had all these plans for when he retired, and he never got to any of those places. And I think, you yeah. know, after he, he he passed away, I thought, you know what? I, I don't want to be that person that's pu- putting off living my life for this, uh, you know, moment in the future when I when, when all yep. my ducks are lined up. So, you know, from from that moment, I started traveling. And I think a, a lot of the, the, the traveling that I do is uh, with him in mind you know and uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's a sort of a really important lesson because it's like we we don't know what what the future holds so I think that's uh fantastic that you guys did that so you're pretty much starting again um, but you've had a, a really successful run leading up to that so um, you started out like you're a fit guy. I've seen your photos. You, you're, you're into CrossFit, and you're uh, you, you're still doing the uh, a plant based uh, kind of a diet. And uh, mm-hmm. how, how how are the COVID kilos gone during lockdown? Have you managed to <laughs> to, to to stay at a, a decent body fat percentage? Yeah, good question. It's funny. Uh, I, I totally forgot about this, but you mentioned the plant based diet. A uh, little side story here. I actually made the decision to uh, transition to a plant-based or vegan diet on a flight to Australia. I watched a couple documentaries oh, wow. while I was in the air flying to Australia. And uh, in the air, I'm like, you know what? I got to switch up the way I'm, I'm eating and stuff and, yeah. and living. So, And that's amazing um, yes. because you actually look um, like you're a decent size of a guy. Like you, do, like, you know, often when you hear about someone who's, uh, you know, exclusively plant-based, they're, they're um, you know, kind of scrawny looking, but you've got mm-hmm. like decent muscle. So, you know, it, ha- it hasn't really stopped you and you feel great as well. Yeah, I feel good. Um, I did put on a little bit of body fat during COVID. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, um, you know, we all being, did. Not being able to go to the gym every day. <laughs> yeah. uh, my wife and I were really good about doing workouts um, just outside. And then yeah. once we could kind of get out into a grassy area, into a park, we found this little park in our area that we would go to every day and kind of use it as our little personal gym. Um, but the workouts weren't the same. I wasn't lifting as much weight, obviously, because you know all I had was a set of rings and a, a 50-pound dumbbell instead of all the barbells and weights and everything. So I put on some body fat, but uh, you know nothing too crazy. We, we kept up with our workouts and you know stayed motivated as much as we could. And uh, now that we're in Hawaii, uh, we're doing the same thing. You know, just working out in the parks, pretty much. Yeah, and and regular listeners will know that you know the sort of health health and fitness is something that I'm interested in. And then and there might be new listeners are going, well, what's what's body fat got to do with uh, photography? But I can tell you, <laughs> I know that there have been times um, like I try and eat clean for most of the week. I I, I love a cheat day, uh, but but like I find that you know when I look after my health and I'm fit and eating well, uh, that makes a huge difference uh with my um mental health and mindset Mm -hmm. and it's like there's been times when i've done um 
trips like I remember I did a, a road trip across America where like basically I just said oh well um you know went in Rome kind of thing and I just ate mm-hmm. brown food really basically so just like nothing good uh was eaten mm-hmm. on that trip I came home and honestly Adam I was depressed and I yeah. couldn't I, I was wondering why well, is it is it this just the uh post travel blues or anything and then I realized you know what I haven't been eating really well the last few weeks and so once I switched back and got into back into my uh, exercise routine and clean eating suddenly my um, mind was clearer uh, you, you get inspired more and you, you know you, you can do more in a day and you just feel better and I, I think that's you know mindset and uh, you know looking after your body is just in, as important as uh, looking after your gear and uh, you know learning all the you know mastering photography do, do you agree with that do you, do you have that same experience absolutely yeah 100 percent agree and and aside from the mental stuff which you already touched on you know there is a lot of physical aspects to photography you know the the stuff that i do i work with interior designers architects and home builders and so i'm doing interiors and architecture and you know uh carrying my gear yeah. from place to place uh moving around furniture in somebody's house and just being on your feet all day yes. you know um being able to sustain that energy to be up on your feet and mentally aware and focused all day. You know, I, I can see some photographers that are, you know, a bit overweight, out of shape, and they're kind of huffing and puffing. They're having a hard time struggling, you know, carrying their gear and stuff. Uh, and in the past, I've done a bunch of event photography for action sports and fitness. And, you know, being up on your feet all day, watching an event, you know, shuffling or, or you know, kind of sprinting from one end of a, a venue to another to get from A to B or to follow the action of the event. You know, all those things are very physical. Um, yeah. I can remember a time when uh, I was working in the BMX industry and shooting at a skate park, and there was uh, another photographer from a different publication there. And, you know, you have to, like, get up to the top of the ramp so you can mm. get on top of the ramp to shoot photos as the riders come up the ramp. And, uh, you know, I had no problem, you know, having a, a flash slung over my shoulder and, you know, a, a tripod and a piece of gear and a camera or whatever. And I could just kind of like run up the ramp. And if you've seen American Ninja Warrior, it's, it's not too dissimilar from the warped wall, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, obviously not as, as tall or whatever, but, you know, it's that same kind of like running up a transition and popping up onto the ramp. And, you know, I had no problem doing it. And this other photographer who is a bit overweight, out of shape, you know, is literally like falling down the thing and struggling and pull up his pants and, yeah. you know, just couldn't hang. So taking care of your body as a photographer can come in handy in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, and and it's sort of like uh, uh, mental sharpness as well. Because something that I do uh, that I've been doing for the last few years is uh, um, fasting as well. So I'm doing like eighteen six or sixteen eight. So like not not mm-hmm. eating till you know for sixteen hours into a day, and uh, once you get adapted to that. I am so sharp and I can think and I can remember that there's been other times when, you know, when I was eating like breakfast, lunch, dinner and, and all of that, that, uh, you know, you'd be, I'd, I'd feel quite foggy or I'd have these uh, slumps in the middle of the day, like there was a time when I was like, oh my God, I, I, I need to pull over and have a nap just because mm-hmm. I was, you know, a, a burning um, fuel rather than my own body fat. And when I switched 
it's just like it just makes the day so much easier and I've got like I'm I'm on set and I actually sometimes forget to feed the assistants because I'm so used to eat, eating in this way <laughs> they're all falling over and I and I'm like what's, yeah. what's wrong with everyone you know so I think that, that you know all of those things although it sounds like well it's got nothing to do with photography I think it's got everything to do with photography so that, that like I, I know we went off on a tangent there but it, it yeah, does no make a, a huge difference and you know in that carrying gear and often you're lugging gear long distances and if you've got to stand there for you know half an hour to catch your breath or just you know stop yourself from sweating before you can start the shoot it does mm-hmm. make things tougher so let's talk about this uh you know you you, you sort of uh, broke into the world of uh sports and fitness photography did that come out of your interest um in um working out and 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 that or was that uh, just a coincidence or was it shooting the sport and then you got into working out how did, how did that happen good question uh i got into bmx bike riding when yep. i was a little kid you know just watched oh. a movie uh that my dad randomly got from the video store called rad if anybody remembers that movie as a kid um and fell in love with bmx and so my whole life i, I was a bmx rider and um from when from the time I graduated high school, I said my goal was to work at a BMX magazine. Right. Um, and and that was my whole focus. You know, all I ever wanted to do was ride, 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 and do anything that had to do with BMX. Um, and I think that uh, well, I know that that hyper focused uh, attitude and and mindset is what allowed me to get that job because I literally got my dream job working at uh, the BMX magazine. It's called Ride BMX. Yeah. Um, right out of college. So amazing. Uh, I started working for the magazine. Um, out of college and worked there for about five and a half years. And that's actually where I got bit by the travel bug because I was traveling all over the world shooting with these riders. Fantastic. Um, yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, they would go back and hang out. And at the end of the day, I would go back and, you know, write articles and post stuff on the website and have emails to deal with. And I was like, man, these guys are, are living the dream, you know, like I want more of what they have and less of what I have. Mm. Um, so I left the, uh, the full-time job and the security of that to do uh, just freelance work in the same industry. Uh, and that worked out really well for a couple of years. And then, uh, funny enough, some of the guys in, in the BMX world, some pro riders, had started doing CrossFit. And uh, at the time, I was kind of intrigued of like, oh, the, okay, these guys are getting a little healthier and a little fitter. Like, I need to start taking care of myself. And originally, the idea was go to the gym and do CrossFit so that I can ride my bike a little bit longer and get hurt a little bit less when I crash and, and things like that. Uh, but what I found that was that within a couple of months, I was at the point where I loved going to the gym so much and I was having so much fun progressing in the gym that I was like, oh, well, if I go and ride today and I crash, then I won't be able to go to the gym tonight. And it had totally flip-flopped. Um, <laughs> so once I fell in love with CrossFit, I started losing the passion for BMX. And then that's when I kind of transitioned my career from action sports to the fitness photography. Right. Fantastic. And so you started doing um, uh, cro- CrossFit athletes as, as well and, and, and that yep. sort of work. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So I went from shooting X games to the CrossFit games, essentially. Yep. Um, so initially it was a, a very smooth transition. Uh, and, you know, some of it was lucky breaks because of the companies and, and contacts that I was able to get in touch with to get my first couple of gigs. I, okay. Um, hang on. But, I'm going to stop you there. So you say sure. lucky break. I disagree. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's kind of like uh, you, you're in there, you're enthusiastic and you're working hard and when you're working hard, the breaks come. 
So yes. it's kind of like you got to be in the like it, 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 you kind of make it sound like you know I was just stumbling along and I got these lucky breaks. But right, right, we all get these lucky breaks. They're constantly coming our way, and it's like if you're not prepared, then that break yes. will go nowhere. So obviously, you had um, the hours under your belt where you did like I think the everything you did in the world of BMX photography got you ready to move to this next stage where you had uh, the the networking skills. You also had the photography skills. So obviously when you're shooting uh, sport like BMX events, you've got to be really on your toes. You have to anticipate the action, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, know where to be, understand light so that you can get these uh, great shots. And then I guess you take those skills into the CrossFit world and yep. uh, develop them further. So when someone comes along and says, hey, Adam, can you shoot this event? You, you've already got the skills. You deliver the product. They love it. They give you the next event, right? But if you weren't prepared, that, that lead's going to go nowhere. So, yes, it's a lucky break, but kind of not yeah. really, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Thank, thank you for clarifying that because I, I guess I was trying to make the, the long story a little bit shorter, but that's yeah. a really good point to make. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and part of the the preparation, in addition to already having the skills and the hustle and the drive, was I really believe in putting uh, your intentions out there yes. uh, and letting it be known. You know, um, part of uh, my thing is, you know, I, I had a blog. I would post things on the blog that I was interested in. Uh, I would tell people, you know, just like uh, I, I told you, uh, you know, I got my dream job right out of high school. Yeah. When I was graduating high school, everybody was asking, like, "What are you going to do when you graduate?" And everybody that asked, I said. I'm going to go to school for graphic design, and when I graduate, I'm going to move to Southern California and do whatever it takes to work at Ride BMX Magazine. Fantastic. I can't tell you how many people I told that to. And sure enough, a month before I graduated, I got a call from the editor of that magazine asking if I wanted a job there. There you go. So I believe in putting your intentions out there. And so um, when I say I got this lucky break, my my first quote-unquote lucky break that obviously, you know, we just talked about, um, it was a, a Facebook post that... Uh, you know, somebody in my gym knew what I did and, and knew what I was trying to do. And they saw another Facebook post from a company uh, looking for photographers in our area to shoot an event. And so because this person at my gym knew my intentions and knew what I wanted to do and knew my skills, they were able to point me in the direction of that company. Um, Fantastic. That's fantastic. So you put yourself out there and it's like, you know, um, I think there's a a lot of new photographers that are starting out that are reluctant to share their work. Uh, But I think it's important that um, when you're starting out that you actually share your work and and share your journey and like all your friends who like you've got this um, – audience already that 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 are really cheering for you to be successful Mm -hmm. at the start and so but it's human nature we'd love to help our friends and so when you're talking about like i want to you know i love doing crossfit i i love it so much here's some photos that i've taken you know i'm I'm still figuring out the gear but you know uh, oh i had a great shoot today this person was amazing check out what they're doing and when you share that work with this enthusiasm you've got this um audience who already love you who 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 just want to help you you know and that's your friends and i think that's the first place to start as a new photographer start with the you know start with your friends and family and you'd be amazed at how many leads you can get just by doing that and so you know your 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 story is proof of that 
Absolutely. Yep. Fantastic. So, um, all right. So you, you're getting into the fitness sport and, and were you enjoying that? And uh, where did that, how did that lead you into uh, shooting sort of for uh, more product and, and uh, sort of high end architecture? How, how did, how did that transition happen? Yes. Yeah, a, a big transition for sure. You know, going from action and events to still houses. Um, so essentially I decided that, A, the CrossFit industry at the time was very young, uh, and uh, people in that industry weren't quite used to paying commercial rates for photography, and a lot of companies didn't understand how it worked. And uh, I dealt with that in BMX because BMX is a a fairly small industry uh, and not a very lucrative industry. And so essentially, uh, I remembered one of my college professors saying, you know, you can only bang your head against the wall so many times before you decide, you know what? this hurts. I'm going to stop doing it. (laughs) And so uh, ultimately it wasn't worth it for me to chase the dollar um, the way that I would need to in order to, uh, to make a a good living out of that. You know, Uh, there was a lot of other guys doing it that were, you know, passionate enthusiasts and they had other jobs to supplement their income. So they didn't rely on it and just kind of did it for fun or for free or whatever. Uh, And that wasn't a, a journey that I was willing to take at that time. Uh, another part of it was I didn't want to get burnt out on it. Um, you know, I didn't want to turn my, my hobby and my passion into a job that would make my passion and, and hobby no longer relevant anymore like you did with BMX, you know? Yep. Uh, I was a rider my whole life, and at, at, towards the end of my career in that industry, I didn't want to be around it anymore, you know? Um, and so that was part of the reason. Um, another part of the reason was, honestly, I was just getting older. I was ready to settle down and, and get a dog and I wanted to have a relationship. And, you know, with that kind of work, I was traveling like up to 200 days out of the year. And I did that for wow. seven years straight. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was just thinking, okay, what can I do that would allow me to keep using my skills behind the camera, um, but I can stay home and, and something that I'm still interested in, you know, because I don't want to be doing something every day that I, I don't enjoy. Yep. Uh, and at the time, I was uh, interested in real estate investing and, um, you know, making passive income that way. I had a couple of rental properties of my own and stuff. And I thought it'd be a good way to, like, meet other investors and meet, you know, people in the industry and maybe, you know, kind of network that way or whatever. And I, I just like the idea of being in, in nice luxury, you know, high-end houses, mm. uh, being inside some of these houses in L.A. and Orange County. Like, you know, you can envision yourself in those houses and you can kind of dream a little bit and you can sort of help manifest, you know, what your future is going to look like and stuff. And so I had those ideas and and that's kind of what drew me into uh, shooting spaces, which originally I started shooting real estate. Um, And then, you know, it wasn't too long after I started doing that, that I realized uh, I didn't love the real estate end of it because it was just a little too fast paced. It wasn't really creative and artistic enough. Um, And, you know, I wanted to to do it a little differently. And uh, that's when I got connected with that guy, uh, that worked for a brick and tile company uh, that went to my gym. And uh, I started working with him. And then through that, working with interior designers, architects, and custom home builders. Yeah, so let, let's just go back to that. So um, firstly, with the real estate, we're talking about domestic properties and the way real estate photography works. And it's actually, I think, uh, for someone who's an absolute beginner, it's a great way to get a foot in the door. But you've got to bear in mind it is high-volume work that, that you need to do mm-hmm. a lot. And so you sort of like – 
how long do do they give you? They'll give you a few houses to do in a day and it's pretty much, you know, get there, bang, 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 and then turn the files around really quickly. Is that right? And it's mm-hmm. like, a, you know, a range of sort of domestic properties. And then you talk about how from there you're like you're in this crossfit community where it's like it, it really is a, a a lovely community where you you're hanging out with these people a lot and i guess you're talking about this love of photography or like you know they would know oh yeah that's adam he's a photographer he does that sort of stuff are you um at the gym like afterwards going oh hey and I, I, he, here's a shot i really loved are you doing that how how are you how did it happen that you happened to meet this guy you know, I think it was mostly through social media. Yep. Um, you know, one of our mutual friends uh, was on Facebook and, and saw uh, that, you know, I was posting photos of, yeah. of the work I was doing, or maybe they post, or I posted that, you know, I was transitioning, or hey, here's my new website. I'm, I'm starting this real estate photography yep. business, or whatever it was, you know. Uh, but again, just putting myself out there, yep. putting my intentions out there for my, my inner circle to see. Uh, and somebody saw that and said, hey, you know, this other guy that goes to our gym, I think you already know him. Uh, you know, did you know that he owns a brick and tile company? She was a copywriter, this yeah. mutual friend of ours, and had done some copywriting work for him. And uh, yeah, it just kind of helped connect me. And, and uh, originally, it's so funny, uh, originally he sent me out to do uh, a couple of photo shoots of, of houses that he had his bricks and tiles installed. And, you know, for anybody that's not real familiar with this kind of stuff, think about, um, you know, a tile backsplash in a kitchen or yeah. an, an interesting tile floor in a, a bathroom or an outside patio. And so these are products that somebody manufactures and designs. They're American-made. They need images of these products installed in a beautiful location to help market and sell more of their products. And so it is commercial product photography. Yep. Um, But I was so naive to it and so new to this that, uh, you know, when he sent me to the first couple of places, I shot the whole house like I would for a realtor (laughs) and uh, didn't realize, like, what I was actually shooting for. Like, I was so confused of, like, what I was actually doing, you know? Right. Um, Luckily, the, the shots came out good enough, and they were not used to having high-end photography at that time. So, you know, they, uh, they, they met their standards, so to speak, and enough to keep me around. And so here's where it comes full circle. So as my wife and I are on our four-month honeymoon around the world, my wife's pregnant. Um, we're about to head back home. At this point, we had made it to Poland, and we were, you know, a couple weeks from, from going back home. And I'm sitting in our Airbnb, and I'm making a resume for the first time in a decade. And I'm yeah. thinking, I got to get a, a job. I got a, a wife and a kid to support now. Like, what am I going to do? You know, <laughs> the, the real estate thing I, I realized wasn't working out. And like, man, I, I got to have steady income. So I was looking for all these like content creator and photographer positions on, online, and a lot of them were looking for you know, quote unquote, Facebook viral videos. Yeah, and I knew exactly what kind of videos they were talking about. You know, they've got music playing but you don't really need the music and you know they're square and they have like yellow text on it and it tells a quick story and it it, you know kind of catches you really quickly and i'd never made one of these but i knew i knew how to do it so i actually made a facebook video resume and essentially Uh in a you know a a two minutes video told my story through images and video clips of my career and my life and my goals and my dreams and i put it on facebook and i said i'm about to be a dad a dad and i need a job so here's my resume. Please share. And overnight, it got um, 25,000 views and about 100 and something shares and, you know, several hundred comments. Um, That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the brick and tile guy uh, from my gym saw it on Facebook and emailed me and said, 
What do I need to do to keep you freelance? I'm getting goosebumps as I'm telling you right now because wow. it was such a powerful moment. I'm sitting over in Europe, stressed out about being able to provide for my family when I got home from this trip. And uh, here's this email that I, I don't even know how to respond to. I don't even know what it means. And I, you know, I wrote him back kind of confused. And he's like, well, you obviously want steady work, but I know you don't want a job. Uh, because again, he's seen on my Facebook and my blog that it's important to me to, to have a free and flexible lifestyle. And he said, I need more content. So what can we do to work together? Um, so long story short, you know, we chatted up and he said he, he had this idea for all these different videos that he wanted to make to promote the product in, in his company. And he had some photo shoots on the horizon that I could do. And so uh, we worked out a deal for like a three-month kind of trial retainer. Um, and that worked out really well. And he said, let's just keep it going as long as we can. And that turned into three years of uh, having a steady salary that basically paid um, all of our bills. Um, and it gave me the freedom to work with other people, make my own schedule, take off when I need to, um, and make connections within that industry. And again, grow my skills. Because again, when I started working with him, you know, I wasn't very good at what I was doing. And I didn't fully understand the commercial aspect of it. But by working closely with them and seeing how this company was able to use my content in their marketing efforts and seeing how valuable it was to them and just getting in the reps of getting into all these nice homes and all these commercial spaces, it allowed me to really get better at what I did. Uh, and so that you know, opportunity really helped get me to where I am today. That's a fantastic story. So a couple of things I love about that. Firstly, um, you did this marketing video and I think um, – as as your resume, right? And I think that yep. a, a lot of people uh, starting out would think, okay, so I need to put a resume out here. I'll do a video one. Uh, basically, I'm just going to tell people how good I am and, and this is what I do. But you, from the sounds of it, what you said was so authentic. It's like, hey, I'm a new dad. I'm about to be a dad. I need to settle down. I need work. And, you know, I think uh, that's what was beautiful about that. You just spoke, you know, from the heart. And mm -hmm. I think that really um, resonates with, 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 with a lot more people. But obviously, you know, like to get, <laughs> to get that many views. So e even if this guy hadn't have um, come forward from the um, – the, 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 the tile company, you probably would have picked up um, tons of other work from other areas, but like you were lucky that you uh, got the work. And then the other thing that I loved that you said, uh, I think you, you said the word uh, getting the reps up, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so, you, so you used a, like a, a workout term, but, but that's <laughs> what great photography is. And I talk about this all the time, you know, I, I use the same analogy, Adam, and it's like, you know, if you want a bicep, you know, I can... If I just uh, once every six months went to the gym for two hours and did as many curls as possible, I'm not going to get that bicep happening. But instead, if I every day spent or every other day spent, you know, 10 minutes working on my biceps, then in six months, I'm going to have biceps, right? So you mm -hmm. need to do the reps. And it's the same with... Um, learning photography and building your skills it's like getting out there like so now I imagine like at first you would walk into these commercial properties and you said like I didn't know what I was doing right and then yeah. uh, you know working with the client and going there and going back and going back and doing the same work eventually now I'm sure you could work walk into any home at any time of the day and go right uh, or, or, or know that okay uh 
Okay, I know that I need this this property of the position of where it is. I should hit that place in the morning rather than the afternoon, and uh, and then you're knowing what to look for and what products to get and what the best angles are and what works best on social media. And it's all about getting those reps in. So I, I do love that analogy. Yeah, and it's it's uh, funny you say that. I distinctly remember the feeling I got when I uh, earned my confidence. And I love that phrase, earned confidence, because yes. as photographers, you know, or, or anybody in business or whatever, there's that term, fake it till you make it, you know? Yep. And I remember that feeling of when I felt like, okay, here it is. I've earned my confidence. I can walk into this space and know that I'm going to deliver what my clients expect, and I know that I'm going to be able to overcome any obstacle or challenge that's thrown my way. And that was a great feeling. And again, you don't get that until you actually put in the reps. That is the best feeling in the world. And it's like, I bet you can still remember the day that you realized that not all light is the same and you started to <laughs> recognize what good light really was and how mm-hmm. and how to use it. And I think that's another important day. But there is no better feeling for a photographer. I remember telling a, a, a photographer asked me on um, one of my workshops, it's like, how come you just know where to put people, you know, that, how come you just know what locations work? And I said, well, it's just a matter of trial and error. Like, you know, I've done that many shoots that now I can walk into any location and just look around and, and like the more you look, the more you see. So it's just that repetition and eventually like seeing the light, like finding those angles, it just clicks in and it is um, – Probably that that confidence, that earned confidence, as you said, is I, I I would say the best feeling in the world for sure. Yeah, but don't get that confused with uh, thinking that I've arrived or no. I've met my potential, because that's the other exciting thing about it is that yeah, there's always room to grow and learn and get better, and that's part of what keeps me excited about photography is that even though I have that earned confidence, I still know how much there room there is to grow and that's super exciting like just knowing that i can keep progressing and keep getting better yeah yeah it's like 30 32 odd years in for me now i i'm i, I the more i know the less i realize that i know so it's like you mm-hmm. know now it's like yeah there's light but there are so many different degrees of light there's so many different degrees of shadow and it just keeps going and going and going and knowing that keeps me excited as well because it's like i know i've got uh so much more to learn and uh that's that that's exciting as well so all right so you're working in this and you did manage to um grow this uh instagram account and do great great work for the for the tile client right and then but Mm -hmm. then like this is where we get into uh licensing um you realized that there was uh better ways or other ways to make money so i want to like dig into this uh licensing of photographs here what for um newbies who have never heard this or, or, or they've heard the term before what does it mean to license your photos? What's the definition of licensing a photo? Yeah, that's great. Let's start at the beginning there. Mm. So as a photographer, when you sell, quote unquote, your work, you're actually selling a license to use your work. So most of the time, uh, I guess it's different for other people in, in different industries, but um, most of the time when we as photographers shoot an image, we own that photo and the copyright to that photo. And when people buy it from us, they're buying a license to use it. So 
yes, there are some instances where you know you're transferring copyright, and you know they, the other person that bought it does actually own it. But most of the time, they're just buying a license to use it. Yeah. So just like when you buy a song from a music app like iTunes, uh, you're licensing that song to use on your phone uh, for your personal use, and if a car company wants to use that same song in one of their big national campaign commercials, they have to license it and pay a lot more money to use it because the use is different uh, and they get a lot more out of it. So our photos are pretty much the same way. Um, so what I found was that even when I was working for the BMX magazine and was shooting BMX photos, there were companies that were willing to license my photos to use in their marketing. So for example, I would shoot a photos at X Games and after the event was over, the sponsors of the riders that were on the podium would come to me and say, hey, uh, we need photos for an ad to say congratulations on winning your gold medal. Or we need you know, a, a new photo for our upcoming catalog. Can we buy photos from you of, of these riders from the X Games? Uh, and I was able to sell my photos that I was essentially already paid to shoot from a different company. Mm. Um, and then when I started shooting fitness competitions, it was the same thing. You know, I would shoot a competition and the company that provided the barbells and bumper plates for the competition would, would uh, reach out and say, hey, we you know, provided the equipment for this competition. Could we buy some photos of, of the athletes using the equipment that we're going to use in some ads to promote our products? Um, and then when I started shooting interior spaces, uh, I was shooting for that brick and tile company. And the first time this dawned on me in the interior space was I shot a fireplace for that brick and tile company. And as I was editing the photo, I zoomed in and on the fireplace, I could see the logo of what fireplace company made the actual fireplace. So I thought, well, if uh, a brick and tile company wants this shot for their marketing, maybe the fireplace company could use the same shot in their marketing. So I did a little digging and a little research and found out who to email at that company and just sent them a couple of low-res samples and said, would you guys like to license this photo? And lo and behold, they did. Fantastic. So this is, uh, this is kind of my journey to licensing. And... I say that I've developed a licensing mindset. And, and in the course that I teach, I teach how to develop your licensing mindset. And so it's not just, oh, BMX companies need photos or fitness companies need photos or interior product companies needs photos. We're living in a digital world where digital ads are on our Facebook, they're on Instagram, they're on television, they're printed on billboards and magazines and catalogs. And, you know, we're such visual beings that, just about every company out there has some kind of a visual need for content. Mm. And so most photographers are shooting photos that uh, they can get paid from their original client, but there's a good chance that there's some other person out there, some other entity or company out there that could also benefit from having your photos. And so once you learn to see these opportunities, then they start to jump out at you. And just like you talked about uh, you know, when you know what to look for, you, you can walk into a room and because you've gotten in those reps and you see the light right away, you see where to put your, your subjects and your models. Um, I would now walk into a room and immediately see the faucet, see the backsplash, see the oven or the, the range. And I've got this licensing mindset kind of built into my workflow that I'm always looking at these opportunities. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I talked to another photographer recently who was a landscape and nature photographer and, uh, as I was telling him this, a light bulb went off in his mind and he's like, oh, you know what? I've got this fox photo that I shot, a photo of a fox and his teeth are showing. And, and I wonder if like a dentist or somebody would, you know, want to license a photo like that. And that's that licensing mindset where you just start to look at your photos through a different lens, so to speak, pardon the pun. Um, 
and you just realize that there's other companies that might need them in their marketing. And I think what it comes down to, and I think what you're very good at, Adam, is educating the client about why they need the photos because what we've got going on at the moment is there's kind of um, two different kinds of photographers. There, there, there is the um, sort of the weekend warrior photographer that has the full-time job that just loves shooting who is giving away photos for free. It's like, oh, oh my God, uh, you know, uh, Coca-Cola just used my photo on their website and it got a thousand million views, but they didn't get any money for that shot. Right. And it's like you can't eat off Instagram likes. You know, you can't pay your mortgage with Instagram likes. And then there is the uh, another set of photographers that are a lot more savvy, o- often at the higher end, that are just who value the work that they do and know that if you're going to have any longevity in this industry, then you have to respect that there is value in, in, in the work that you do and find a way to convey that to clients. So there's old school clients that like, you know, you like your BMX uh, magazine, that those industries that they know the value of the shot. But then there's a lot of, and more and more and more these days of like, you know, you say your, your, your mum and pop industries that are a lot smaller that would say that, 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 that don't even, they'll think like, let's just get Jan and accounts to do the photos for our Instagram page and then they mm-hmm. wonder why they're not get the, the, the page isn't getting them anywhere. And, and so this is where you come along and you can uh, tell that, uh, you know, educate that client about what great photography can do for them and, um, and also what great photography actually costs. So my mm-hmm. question is, how do you have that conversation with clients? Because I know there is a lot of people listening now that are going, there's no way I'm going to hand my new client who's just given me this opportunity uh, a contract saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to shoot for you. And after I've finished, I'm going to give you some of the shots and the rest I'm going to sell to other people. How do you navigate <laughs> that conversation? That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked that. I have these conversations with my potential clients from day one. I think educating the client is a really big part of what we as photographers need to do. Um, and so essentially, you know, I let them know that the service I'm providing them is going to be a great service and they're going to get the results that they paid for and the cost is X, Y, and Z. Um, and I price my, uh, particular photos on a day rate plus a licensing fee. Yep. And I do this for two reasons. Um, I, and, and this is essentially what I'm telling you right now is essentially the conversation I have with them on my first phone call with them. Yep. Uh, I tell them, you know, I price my, my services this way for two reasons. One, because you get what you pay for. If you get more shots, you pay more. If you get less shots, you pay less. Yep. Um, I like that business model rather than yes. a flat rate yes. for however many shots you get in a day. Uh, second reason is I want to be able to educate you on li- what licensing is. Uh, you know, licensing is all the things that I just uh, talked to you about. Um, and it allows you to use the photos that we shoot for your business or your services. Um, so that does not give you the right to give it to somebody else. Just like when you buy a song off the internet, you're not allowed to share it with all your friends. Mm. Just like when you download uh, Adobe and you pay that yearly subscription fee, mm. uh, you're not allowed to give that to all your friends. You're paying for this license to use it for your business and your business only. Now, if other companies uh, want to use the photos, they will also have to pay a licensing fee. Um, and then, you know, if the conversation goes further than that, 
at that point. Uh, we talk about cost sharing. So in my industry, um, there's opportunities where an interior designer works with a builder and or an architect. And so you can offer a cost sharing program up front where all three parties come together and split the cost and you raise your fee and they essentially all get a discount on the shoot as opposed to if they each hired you directly, but you only do one shoot and you still make more money for it. Um, so that's always you know available to, to my clients and I let them know that as well. Um, but then, you know, uh, essentially once they have paid me for my services and they get what they need, uh, I still own the photos. Yep. So, um, there, there is times, there are times when clients are like, well, wait a minute, like, you know, I paid for that. Like, why should you make extra money off of it? Mm. Well, you paid for it for what you got out of it, you know, and it's a great photo. You're getting the value that you wanted out of it. So what's the problem after that? You know, and it, it's, uh. It's a delicate balance, but when you set those expectations up front and you explain the licensing and you explain what they are paying for in the beginning, it makes it much easier to have the conversation down the road. Uh, and then throughout the process of when I'm working with somebody, again, just kind of sticking to my particular industry, um, you know, that's before the shoot happens. Also in the, in the contracts and my price sheet and everything that I send before the shoot happens, it specifically states in there that, you know, the license is for you and your business and, uh, you know, not to distribute to third parties, and I reserve the right to distribute to third parties. Uh, but then while we're shooting, you know, I don't shy away from it. Um, you know, I'm not going to say like, oh, you know, can, can you go out of the room for 30 minutes and let me get a couple of shots that I can sell? Like, that's not how it works, you know? Like, I'm still going to put them in the in the spotlight. They're, they're my client. Yep. I'm there for them 100%. Yep. Um, but, you know, if, you know, we're about to break for lunch and I, I, and I've had the conversations up front, I might say, Oh, do you mind if I adjust the angle real quick and get a tighter shot of this faucet that I might be able to license, you know, mm. and just kind of like those quick and, and little things to sort of get them used to the idea of it um, really go a long way, I think. Uh, and then there's times on site when I'm, you know, I'll just say a quick thing like, oh, this is a beautiful bathtub. Who makes it? I, I might be able to license it to him or, you know, I might be able to tag them on Instagram and things like that where you can throw out a quick comment that, you know, isn't taking up much time. It's not taking up any energy. But just by them telling you the name of who made the bathtub, now I know, okay, this is the company I need to jot down in my notes to go back to later to try to license and stuff. Yeah, and the, and the other thing, um, like at, 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 at that initial conversation, I guess, when you're quoting out the shoot, uh, letting the client know that, like, because often the client will say, okay, we've got this great idea, like we want you to come and shoot this uh, beautiful uh, mountain home with this amazing fireplace and all of that. So you're going to shoot that. And so you can say, okay, for me to come out, and uh, do that shot and for you to have the license to use this image exclusively so that like no one else can use it, it's going to mm -hmm. cost you nine grand. However, if um, you don't want the exclusive use of that image and I can then license that image, it'll cost you three. Right. There's an incentive for the client to go, oh, well, that's that's like the the sharing the cost. It's like I, I mm -hmm. can get a great photographer at a reduced rate. I use my photo, but then you know bits of that you know shoot that, that are not going to look the same as what you did. Obviously, you 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 change it up a bit, but you can then um, on sell those images to other businesses. And I guess that's a great way to um, convey the value of uh, the shoot to the client. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a great point. You know, during those initial conversations, if there was ever any pushback or, or, you know, mention of exclusivity, then you just raise the cost, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah. So easy as that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's simple. And then, and then they understand. And it is just like, you know, because there's, there's areas of like, you know, when, when we might be looking into, say, um, buying a handmade timber table, like, you know, so at first, if you've got no idea what a tape, what's involved in making a table, you might be looking at say, well, there's a timber table from Ikea. I can get that for $200 or then there's this other handcrafted, uh, bespoke table, which is a one-off design is $10,000. Why is it so expensive? Why can't I get that table for 200? So then I right. guess the craftsman then goes on to explain that, well, we, um, it's, we, we use, uh, you know, sustainable timbers. We use, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the varnish that we use is uh, doesn't have any carcinogens in it, and you know that's hand turned. And there's we spend a thousand hours making the table. The one from IKEA uh, is you know a chipboard that's got glue in it. That's you know it's just like the yeah. cheapest form of you know rainforest timber <laughs> that we can source, and uh, that's why it's two hundred dollars. So like in the research. Uh, you know, in speaking to the craftsman, uh, you learn the value of the, the, the product that you're buying and that $10,000 table that you've just purchased is going to still be around in 200 years time, whereas the, you know, $200 table will be landfill in, in six months when you're sick of it. So I guess it's like having those conversations and not being afraid to convey the value of what you bring to the table to, to the clients, I guess, right? One hundred percent. And and again, it's that, reps, isn't it, um, Adam? Yes. It's reps. Like I, I can remember the first time I directed a model. You know, very very young. I can remember going, okay, so whoa, you can you look left? I mean, right. That's great. Hang on, I just uh, uh, the photo's not in focus, right? And then that was uh -huh. the first time. You're not very good at it, but then you know now I can say, okay, look at me. No, move your head. You know, and I've and I can do it with confidence. My voice doesn't mm -hmm. shake when I do it, and so it is. It possibly will feel uncomfortable the first time, but you just push mm -hmm. through and you keep doing it. I guess it's just like when you first speak on camera. You know, the first time you do it, you feel really self-conscious and awkward. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And then, you know, and the more convincing you become. And then you start to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is value in the work that I do. And then you've got the the examples uh, under your belt of like past clients that like, you know, with your uh, tile company, what what happened with that? You, you got them from... Um, like you got their Instagram to be really successful, didn't you? Through good photography, right? So you proved that point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. And their entire brand, not just their Instagram, but their whole brand just got so elevated. Uh, and, and I wasn't running their social media myself, um, but it grew from about 6,000 to close to 70,000 within three years. Uh, and the person that was running the social media just all day would rave about, it's so easy because I have good photos. Like, exactly. you know, it's just growing itself. It's, it's doing it on its own because the photos are good. Like people are engaging. Like it was so hard for her to come up with content that was relevant or engaging with people before she had this, this network of good photos, you know?
And people don't often, again, coming back to my table analogy, like if you, if you're, you know, not really that interested in tables, you, you're not going to be able to tell the difference between a $200 Ikea table and a $10,000 handmade bespoke table. Like it's a table, it does the job, you know, it doesn't fall over. Why would I pay that much money? But like, you know, with great photography, the client will see for themselves the difference. It's like, you know, like I've had clients that have just been getting um, headshots from, you know, whoever the, the guy in the company with the camera is, and then they think they're good until they get better. And then they go, right. oh, my God, we didn't realize how bad our photos were or how how much better we can all look. We just accepted that that's what we all look like. But then mm-hmm. with great lighting and good direction, suddenly, like, we all look like supermodels and we can't go back to that other model of letting Jan in accounts do our photos. And the same for, you know, with your product photography, you know, the, the startup uh, company will, you know, start doing shots on their iPhone and they might be a bit frustrated. It's like, we can never get it sharp all the way through or there's like, it never quite looks as crisp as like this other high-end site. And then when they start to see, how good it looks and the comments come in, they're hooked for life, aren't they? You've got them, yeah. basically, just by showing them Absolutely. great photography. So um, that's all great. But so how does the, the um, in terms of uh, the contracts, uh, how do you streamline doing all of that? So there's obviously uh, a lot of uh, pitching and uh, cold calling that goes about. How do, how do you make that work for you so that it's not taking up you know, hours and hours and hours every week and you're not burning yeah, out question. doing that. It's all about creating systems mm-hmm. that work for you. Uh, and again, I've done the reps enough that I've found and created systems that work for me. And these are actually the systems and techniques that I teach in my course all about yep. licensing. Um, but, you know, everything from, like I mentioned before, it starts on site. Well, it starts before the shoot of kind of prepping your, your clients, setting the expectations. On site, I'm taking notes on what vendors are in the space so that I don't have to go do the research to find out who they are after the fact. Uh, and then finding the right contact at those vendors. I've you know, kind of developed little ways of, uh, of using the internet uh, to my advantage and basically becoming like a detective to find you know, the marketing person at each company. Uh, yeah. And then once you found it, you know, I've got an Excel spreadsheet that I keep all my contacts in so that next time I need that company that's right there, um, and then I use templates for all my email correspondence. So I have a, a simple text file that has probably, I don't know, 10 to 15 uh, different like templates that I copy and paste from of when you know, I'm sending either one photo individually or multiple photos. Uh, if I don't hear back from them, I've got a, a copy and paste that I send to follow up with them the first, second, and third time. If I do hear back from them and they ask this question, I've got a copy and paste that I can send back to that. Um, and again, these templates are, are all available in the course that I teach, um, but it's all about making systems and, and even, you know, organizing the files on my computer. So let's say I've got 20 to, to 30 companies at any given point that I'm, you know, trying to pitch photo sales to. Uh, I've got each one of them in a folder and I've created a little system that, you know, just works within my Mac browser or, or Mac operating system to remind me, okay, I've emailed this company one, two or three times. Did I hear back from them? Yes or no? Like, did I make a sale? Yes or no? Um, and then, you know, keeping your, your invoices organized. Every, every photographer that, you know, does business on a regular basis already kind of has their invoicing system in place. And I've got mine that yep. works for me. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's all about making systems that work for you. Um, and my systems might not work for you. Um, but again, in, in the course that I teach, I do teach all of my systems. And if they don't particularly work for you exactly, at least it gives you a framework and a, a frame of reference to help you develop systems that do work within your own workflow. Yeah. And it, and it, like we've got so much technology that makes it it's so easy these days. Like I, notes on your, uh, on a, on an iPhone and I'm sure there's an Android version of notes as well. Like you can actually, uh, divide notes into folders, uh, for mm-hmm. your different categories. So I've got like on my notes, I've got, you know, all, all the templates that I need and, uh, you know, in different categories. And so like even on my phone, I can actually respond to a client, you know, in, in minutes. And it's the same with like, you, you need to be organized. And so there's ways with, um, so with your, uh, photography catalogs, uh, do you, uh, as you're importing those and backing them up, are you tagging images so that you know that like, okay, that's a great um, stone bench top. This is a splash. This is my splashbacks. Are you tagging them so that you can locate those really quickly? Cause are you shooting high volume or like, or, or, or sort of not so much and it's quite easy to find the shots. How does that work for you? Yeah. Good question. Um, so my organization system, Uh, is a little bit old school. um, But again, it works for me. I actually don't use Lightroom uh, just because I find it annoying and and I prefer to just use Bridge in combination with Photoshop. Right. Um, So I just organize my photos on my hard drive. I don't shoot high volume, which works in my favor for doing this. Um, If I did shoot high volume, I might have to find a different solution or a different method. Um, But yeah, I just organize my photos uh, by date and like a, a job identifier. So, you know, January 1st, 2020, Seapoint Construction is the client. And then, you know, the last name of their client or, or the address of the house or whatever it might be. So just, you know, a little tag on the, the main photo folder. Um, but uh, I don't do any tagging when I, when I bring stuff in. Um, essentially, after I edit the photos and, you know, if I deliver 25 photos from one house shoot, that, that's a pretty big day. So, you yep. know, we're looking at like 10 to 15 photos delivered from each shoot uh, typically. Uh, so it's not difficult to go back in there and, you know, in each folder for that project, I'll have, you know, the print resolution and then a low res web resolution folder. Uh, so yep. it's really easy to go back to the web size folder and just flip through those 15 shots. And okay, as I'm flipping through like, okay, these three have the countertop that looks really nice. I'm going to copy and paste those into a, a, a folder for that specific company. And these four have the faucet that looks really nice. I'm going to copy and paste those web res into a folder for that faucet company. And so I, I organize them all um, by the name of the company, actually. Um, yep. And then when I email the company, I put, you know, the subject line has their company name in it so that when I'm going back to review, like when I've emailed them or, or look up my correspondence with them, I just type in the name of that company and it pops up in my Gmail because I've already included that name in the, of the company in the subject line. Fantastic. Um, Just so it's Pretty straightforward when you're dealing with products because there aren't any people involved. But if you've got mm-hmm. models involved in the shoot, how does that work with model releases and, and what sort of uh, protocols have you got in place with dealing with those issues? Yeah, good question. Um, disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, don't take legal advice from me <laughs> uh, now that that's out of the way. Um, I never deal with model releases typically. Um, usually, um, or all the time on, on my shoots, uh, the models, quote unquote, have been either the designer herself um, or yep. himself 
uh, or me like walking through a frame blurry. Yep. You know, one time I brought my wife yes. to walk through the frame and, and be a blurry figure. Yep. Um, so I've never actually done a shoot where we hired models. Um, yep. I would assume that when you hire models, they would have a release already in place uh-huh. uh, as part of the contract of when you hired them specifically. Um, the one time I ever had uh, a model release was actually for that brick and tile company where the homeowner of one of the houses just so happened to like open the door as I was shooting a photo. Uh, and it looked really great, actually. And we ended up using it. And we asked her to sign a release just so that mm-hmm. we can you know, use that image in commercial uses and, and stuff. Um, so again, I'm not the expert on that. I don't want to speak too much to it. Um, in my course, I actually do have an interview with um, a person named Rachel Brinke from thelawtog.com. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, and she, yeah, she's, she's talked a lot about that. And we kind of talk about um, the model release in her interview. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the short answer was don't really worry about it um, because you know it's going to be the interior designer who hired me to shoot the photo and she's in the image. So it's not yeah, really so, matter. So, you know? so it's not, but again, it's, don't it's take legal advice you, from yeah. me. Yeah, sure. So if you're doing an advertising shoot where a client's uh, hired you to photograph lifestyle images and they've gone ahead and they've hired models, um, you can't just go ahead and, uh, you know, re-license those images because the, the model agency would have also said that, you know, that licensed out the model actually to be in that shot. Right, it's right. for this usage. And uh, if you want to then use those images for something else. You need to then come back and negotiate with that uh, model to uh, use those images again. So, um, yeah, disclaimer there, you've got to be careful about that. But there are really good workarounds for photographers, so there is no reason why you as a photographer can't have a look around and and whatever niche that you're working in. So let's just say you're working for the tile industry and uh, you've found this uh, incredible bathroom with all their products in it, but you know that that this uh, image is just going to – get get a lot more views if you've got like uh someone walking through the frame or it's got that really authentic you know we talk about a lot about authentic photography these days people mm-hmm. want to see genuine authentic moments right so you could then uh negotiate to uh have a model come at the in the second half of that shoot that you've commissioned and that that they will uh give you a model release to then on sell those images so you can control that and I'm, I'm just thinking there are so many so many uses um for for, for once you get this uh licensing mindset going as, as you talked about um so it's fantastic um so i had another question um so in terms of um uh i've completely lost my train of thought now the typical because so, i've just gone off on a tangent um <laughs> uh yeah, I was just thinking of uh, the, the 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 different uses, and and there there are so many different ways that you can uh, work with, uh, like you know, homewares companies and uh, products, and and just creating that. I've just thought of the, the, the next question that I had. What is the difference between just because there is a lot of stock agencies out there that will take our products, like our you know travel shots and product shots that we might be doing, and you can give them to these stock agencies and license through the agency what's the difference uh working for them and doing it yourself yeah really good question um to give you a little bit of financial um uh i don't know frame of reference uh i had several hundred photos with a stock agency Mm. for close to a decade and over those 10 years or so i probably made maybe two thousand dollars of income 
Uh, and in the last 20 months, um, doing the licensing with just this one industry, I've made uh, $50,000 in sales. Yeah, not bad, um, is it? So, just, what's yeah, the percentage so, that, on average that uh, the stock agencies are giving to photographers as a return mm, on the image? It's well, nothing. Recently, yeah, it's, it's probably 60-40 um, yeah. with the photographer getting 40% might be less than that. Yeah. Um, I actually recently just asked them to take all of my images down yes. because um, – I, I was tired of logging into my account and seeing that photos were sold for less than 50 cents an image uh, or that's what I was getting out of them, you know, after they were sold. Uh, and so the big difference between stock and, and what I do and what I teach is uh, being proactive as opposed to waiting for people to come to you. Yeah. So if you have a stock agency, first of all, um, you've got to upload the images to the company, which is very time consuming and yeah. tedious. There's a lot of um, intricate uh, things that you have to do as far as tagging, metadata, mm. description writing, titling, the upload process, the um, the selection and, um, you know, kind of vetting process of what they're going to, to choose and allow to upload. There's a lot of uh, work that goes in, into that that uh, I did not, not enjoy and I always found it to be very cumbersome. Um, and so first you have to do that. Once you finally jump through all those hoops and get your images up there, then you have to wait for other people to find them, yeah. find find your images. So you know, there's hundreds of images, if not thousands of images similar to yours on this site. And you have to wait for somebody to stumble across or find yours in that whole heap of, of images. Um, and once they do, then again, you're going to make uh, not very much money. And there are times when, you know, you can make a big sale and make, you know, hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks. Uh, maybe it's possible to make a thousand. I don't know. Uh, I've never seen it happen in stock, but maybe it's possible. Um, but you know, with what I'm doing and what I'm teaching is be proactive. So instead of waiting for people to come to you, go to the companies that, uh, are directly involved with these images. Uh, and again, there's, you know, once you develop a licensing mindset, um, in, in whatever industry you're in, you can find, uh, your niche, you can find ways of doing this. But again, speaking to what's personal to me right now and the industry, I, what, what I work in, you know, I can go directly to the faucet company, the cabinet company and say, Hey, Here's a beautiful product, uh, XYZ product of yours that was in this home. Uh, I know this could look great in your marketing. You know, are you interested in it? And the thing is, with the kind of pr- companies that I deal with, it's really hard for a company to get good photos. You know, mm. think about a faucet company or a cabinet company. How do they have uh, resources to get photos? Well, they could set up a studio shot where they just get a close-up of the product but it's not installed in a place it doesn't feel lived in. Yeah. So how are they going to you know, convey how it looks in a home? Well, they could build an entire set, like literally build an entire kitchen yeah. to shoot this product. That's very time-consuming, requires a ton of effort and resources and money. They could hire somebody directly to go out and shoot it. So what does that look like? Okay, well, they have to figure out where their product went, um, maybe get some kind of a, a cell phone picture sent to them to see if the house looks nice enough or is high end enough to, that it's going to look good. And that's the shot that they want. Then they have to call several photographers in that area to, to vet them and, you know, figure out who's going to be the best and who they, you know, price them out and everything. And then hope that the photos come out good. Yeah. Well, what I'm providing them and what you can provide them is show them a finished photo of their product in a beautiful, beautiful space. And they're like, Whoa, those other two options that were really time consuming and difficult I don't have to do that anymore. Like this landed in my lap. Like this is really valuable to that company. So once you understand, uh, and this is what I call the the first step to understanding uh, or developing your licensing mindset is understanding that your photos have value and why they have value. And they have value for those reasons I just explained. 
it's really difficult for companies to get great shots for their marketing. So if you can just literally plop it in their inbox and make it easy for them to look at, give you money and move on, then they're going to be happy and you're going to be happy. Exactly. And then hopefully, like what happened with your tile uh, client, it, that, that could uh, develop into a, okay, well, so ha- how about I come out uh, once every two months and uh, shoot the local homes in the area like based on a retainer? The other thing that I want to talk about that is really important, so like, you know, a lot of industries uh, are global but then they they want to sell to a domestic market. So let's just say that like there is a stone company that uh, manufactures in the states, but they sell to Australia, right? There is mm-hmm. definitely like if you look at the, the culture, the, there is a look to a home yes. in in America that differs to how a home looks and even how it's styled. It's subtle. But like we, like you know, we as Australians would could look at a home and just by looking at the the light is different, the styling is different. There's just a different feel, right? So Absolutely. here's an opportunity for you to pitch these companies. So it might be an international company, but it's like I know that I've seen the stone bench in a house in Outback Australia, and that's going to appeal to uh, you know the local domestic market. So there is a ton of opportunities opportunities uh, to sell your work in that regard. And also uh, when it comes to stock photography, it just looks stocky. Like I know it's getting better, but there is a real there is a real look to stock photography. It's kind of often it's very clinical. It lacks that um, that authenticness. So as photographers, we can um, really uh, niche down in our chosen industries and create these uh, beautiful and authentic moments that are, you know, uh, suited to our own location. Because it's like, you know, I can spot stock a mile away. You just go, that's a stock shot. And often you'll see the stock shot in the, the, the client's catalog, and then it's in 15 other blog posts as well, you know, so that's yeah. an issue. So that's uh, a, another great um, point that you can use when you're um, uh, pitching to a client, I guess. And you now in your course, you've also got uh, pitch templates as well, how, how to pitch the client, what to say, yep. or you've got, yeah, so you've got all that covered. Yep. Yeah, and going back to, uh, to kind of given the, the company's variety, you know, a lot of this kind of marketing mindset I learned from working so closely with that brick and tile company yep. because I wasn't just a photographer. I was a content creator. I worked really closely with the, the head of marketing and stuff. And so I got a, a very inside look at how a product company uses these images and, and all the things they do in their marketing. And so I was shooting photos in Southern California, but even within the U.S., Southern California houses have a certain look and a style. Yes. And so there's places on the East Coast and the Midwest and Texas or the South that have a very different look. And so part of my job was to find some of those photos that looked different than what I was shooting and license them from those other photographers. Uh, and so just like you're talking about the, the bench and the outback and stuff, you know, a company having the variety to show that they don't have just one look. They can cater to everybody across the country or across the world, and they can fit your style wherever you are. That's really valuable as well. So you know, understanding that you provide uh, variety to a company is really powerful as well. 
Yeah, and so you can actually even uh, pre-plan that when you're going into the shoot. So you go, okay, this this company that I'm working for is clearly international. It's an interior shot. So how can I cater this to suit uh, a, a many markets? So I'm just thinking in terms of styling. So let's just say you had a an interior of a kitchen and then you've dressed the table. There might be for... Um, the US market, you might have, um, so it's like, you know, you might have some kids running through out of focus in the frame, but on the table for the US market, you might have Oreo cookies and a glass of milk. Okay. That, That to me as an Aussie, I think, well, that's a very American thing, right? But then to cater to the Australian market, you, you're not going to have Oreo cookies. You might have an Australian, um, style that we've got, uh, have you ever had Tim Tams? I was going to say Tim Tams. That's, that's, be, well, first, I was not going to lie. I was going to say Vegemite first. Right. I didn't want to sound racist or something. Yeah, yeah. Then I was going to go with Tim Tams. <laughs> but you've had Tim Tams, right? How good are they? Yeah. But so, so, yeah. so, so that's, and that, you know, any Aussie looking at that image will go, oh, Tim Tams. It's like, you know, that, that, that that's an, a, an Australian kitchen, you know, just so those little um, visual cues, um, if you're really uh, thinking and pre-planning the shoot are another way to, uh, you know, value, add value to the shoot that you're doing and also having that sort of, okay, I'm going to on sell all these images. You're thinking about all the different uh, future uses you can use. So once you get into this way of thinking, the sky's the limit, isn't it? Yeah. It, another, another similar example, um, this just happened recently, uh, was shooting a beautiful kitchen that had a, a stove from a company called Sub-Zero and Wolf. It's a wolf stove. It's got these big red knobs that are very distinguishable. Um, and they actually had a wolf coffee pot as well. Yep. Well, the shot that I lined up for my client, uh, you know, we didn't want the coffee pot there. It looks a little kind of bulky and cumbersome, and it just look, looked a little more authentic, as you call it, and, and natural to have something else uh, next to that stove. So we put in some utensils and whatever else we did, but the camera was already set. The, the you know, settings were already there. Yeah. So after I shot that shot for the client, it literally took me about 90 seconds to move that out off the counter, put the Wolf coffee pot back in, snap a shot there, and now I've got a shot, not with just the stove, but now with the wolf and the coffee pot, or yep. the stove and the coffee pot. So, you know, knowing that I've licensed to this company in the past, it's essentially just like, okay, well, it took me two extra minutes to shoot this one, one extra photo. I might get a couple hundred extra dollars for this uh, just because I, I had the foresight to think, oh, hey, I can have two products of theirs in one shot as opposed to just one. Yeah, and you can also use that mindset when you've got models in the shot. So if you want to get uh, more bang for your bucks, so you've obviously you've you've hired the models yourself, you've got the model release that like you know, hey, I'm going to license these images. You're paid this one-off fee, and then I'll go and on sell the images. But then what you do is like so. Let's just stick to the uh the kitchen scenario i think we've all pictured that and you've got uh, a woman or, or or you know walking through the frame and she might be out of focus she might be sharp but what you can do is you you nail that shot but you 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 get the model to say she might be um wearing uh a, a, a blue shirt right and then you go okay now change to the red shirt now put the blue shirt a green shirt on and so you might get the same shot but just with, uh, you know, wearing or, or put her in a blazer so she looks and carrying, a, you know, holding an iPad or something so she looks more like a businesswoman and then you get her to a hair up, hair down and you can completely change the vibe of the shot and also give you more options to then on-sell those images. So, like, you know, it's just a matter of 
because once you set up, the, all the work is done. So you can yeah. c- continue to get, you know, more bang for your buck out of those shots. And as I say, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Um, yeah. The, there's real, so real much quick, in I want to yeah. t- touch on uh, two more super fast examples yeah. of similar scenarios. Uh, again, using the interior space. Uh, cabinet open and closed or drawer open and closed or refrigerator open and closed, like those kind of things have worked well. Right. Uh, you know, selling to a cabinet company, showing that, uh, you know, how this, this cabinet opens or how it functions or having, you know, like I said, once the shot's set up, shoot the main shot and then, you know, have a lady's hand pulling up, open the door to show how it functions. Um, but that's all uh, amazing. There's so many uh, great suggestions in there. I Just, just one... Um, other thing that you could easily do. So once the shot is set up and lit, you can also add value. And we've been talking about a lot about this year. Like, um, are you doing cinemagraphs or videos for your clients? And are you thinking with that mindset? So like, okay, I've got this set up. So, you know, um, what I could do now is just while the fire's going and it looks beautiful, why don't I just take a 15 or 30 second clip and then I've got video that I could also license or there, you know, there might be that the, the, um, there's, there's clouds moving in the background or, um, you know, you've got someone running through a field. So are you doing uh, video and licensing that as well? That is a really great question. Um, I love that question for many reasons. I did think of the other thing I was thinking of. Uh, <laughs> so you can take one shot and then simply zoom in, right? So, yeah. you know, if, you, if you're shooting the entire kitchen, Get that shot, zoom in. Now you're focused a little bit more on just the faucet. I've licensed photos that way as well. But yeah, DJ, so, point- sorry, just just back on that, Adam. So and I think a really good uh, uh, way to look at that, and a couple of uh, photographers have uh, have talked about this. Uh, Amy Vitell, and I think it was Scott Bourne was the other one who mentioned that when you are doing any shoot, think like if you watch the opening scene of any movie shot by a great cinematographer, you'll see that the opening scene is the super wide shot. And then they'll do a, uh, you know, a, a, a tighter shot, then they'll do a mid shot, then they'll do an extreme close up. If you've got that mindset, whenever you're shooting anything, and you just use that system as a default, it's exactly what you've talked about. So you've got the hero shot of the, uh, mm-hmm. the wide shot of the kitchen, which might include some of the other open area, you know, the, 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 the lounge area or something. And then you might come in close to just the actual kitchen area and then you're coming in closer to the uh, stovetop and then you might even come in closer to to incorporate like uh, the interior of a drawer or the you know the the edge of a cabinet so that you're showing the the craftsmanship in that um, uh, in that image and so you've just created four different images and then of course you can bring your model in get them to change up change up the hair yep. uh and and suddenly you're and thinking of um obviously when you're shooting you're thinking about the demographics so who am i pitching to and there is uh ways that you can um make something look super up market and then you can also bring it down to sort of like mid market or sort of lower end just so that the the because often clients have uh, high-end products and then they have a like a, a more sort of a generic range mm-hmm. so thinking about like the props that you use 
and 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 everything in the shot can can in, with the are, are the visual cues to say well this is uh, bespoke. There's like you know mm-hmm. I've done shoots where it's like a handshake. Uh, and they're holding champagne and like how do I make this look high end we chuck a Rolex watch on 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 the arm of the you know and there's those little visual cues that not everyone's going to notice but like people who know know and they'll say Mm. all right this is a high-end product so are you you, using that mindset as well yeah that 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 wide medium tight shot uh, list is is exactly right on point so yep uh you know people in their marketing tile company that I work for for example that was that was the whole mindset right there is, you know, you want to show how the tiles look in the entire room and how it helps tie the space together. You want to show a little bit tighter detail to show how the, you know, texture and, and colors look next to the wood and the metal and the whatever other textures are in there. And then you want to show the tight details to show, you know, the texture and the variation and, and the characteristics of those individual tiles. Yep. So definitely keep that in mind. Uh, that's, that's a really great point. Um, but going back to your, your comment about the videos. Yep. Um, so uh, I'm actually super excited that you brought that up for a couple of reasons. One, because I haven't done that very much, and I think yep. that is a big opportunity um, that I should be thinking about more. So I appreciate you reminding me of that. Um, <laughs> one of my, my shoots, I actually got hired not by a designer, but by the actual product company that made an elevator in a kind of high-end home. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess it's got to be high-end to have an elevator in the house, right? Yeah, of course. Um, but um, you know, they, they specifically on the shot list had, you know, shots of the elevator stills, but then also video clips of the elevator. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's definitely companies that need that. And certainly for the brick and tile company, uh, I shot video clips and, you know, spliced together 15 second or 60 second Instagram videos or longer like, you know, YouTube uh, with text overlays or voiceover or testimonial type videos. Um, so, yeah, that's something I've done a ton of, but I have licensed video clips in other in other places, um, you know, specifically with some BMX video clips, mm-hmm. uh, I've done some licensing there. Uh, and actually, a uh, crazy story for you um, to bring this full circle. Um, so on our trip to Bali last year in 2019, uh, November 21st, we were flying out of LAX and our plane actually caught on fire uh, during takeoff. So we're in what? the air. And uh, yeah, I, I was actually filming my daughter. She was two and a half at the time. I had my camera pointed at my daughter who had the window seat. And as I'm filming her, we have these big loud bangs and, and flashes of light. And I'm like, what is going on? And I turned the camera or I looked out the window and uh, flames were shooting out the engine right next to our window. And uh, I turned the camera out the window and kept filming. And I was actually able to license that video clip uh, to several different uh, big national news stations that got syndicated all around the world and ended up uh, more than paying for our, our vacation to Bali, it was uh, close to six thousand dollars that I licensed that video clip for. Yeah, that that's fantastic. Like right place, right time. But again, and you can say I got lucky and I got that shot. But it's like everything you've done to this moment uh, led you to having the skills to and, and actually know what to do to license those images. And just when it comes to um, uh, if anyone is ever in a situation where you've, uh, ac- ac- you know, filmed something like a a, a, a news event happening, then um, what will happen is the news company will approach you and they'll just ask for the video. They're not ever going to offer you money. So, like, you need to make sure that you go, no, no, you can license this image. Don't just get excited and go, oh, my God, 
my video got on the news. You should be yes. able to know um, how to negotiate a contract and, and license that image. Otherwise, it gets taken, it's shared, it's reshared, it's gone around the world a billion times, and you yep. know you get you don't even get a credit for it. They'll just it'll just be you know uh, this news network will have their watermark on it, and then they own it, and you've lost it. Yeah. You know, so exactly. it's just a matter and, of and that's like, exactly what happened knowing, with this video clip. Yeah. They, uh, you know, all the news outlets uh, initially asked for it for free or, you know, when I yeah. told them they, they had to license it, they offered a couple hundred dollars and mm. I was like, no, how about a thousand dollars? And sure yes. enough, they all came through and, and they all ended up paying. And the one company that didn't pay, one of the like top five uh, national news stations, the reason they didn't pay is because somebody else gave them uh, a similar video clip, not as good as mine, but a similar yep. one, somebody got, gave free. it to them for free. So they yeah. felt like they didn't need to pay. So you, you you've got those options, and and a thousand bucks gets you um you know uh, a decent uh, amount of life in in Bali. You get get a lot yeah. of uh, of that beautiful roasted corn on the beach <laughs> in Bali. That's fantastic. So much good information there, Adam. Um, is there anything you want to add that that that, that we might have uh, not discussed in this? No, I think we're good. Uh, definitely, yep. you know, check out my my work, uh, my personal work at adamtaylorphotos.com yeah, or Instagram you're, at adamtaylorphotos. Yeah, your, your architectural work and uh, all the beautiful bathrooms and uh, um, all the images are absolutely stunning. And, um, you know, you've got this uh, – uh, a fantastic course, and within that course, there is actually like a 30-minute video which has a ton of great information as well, and that's that. And I'll put all these links in the show notes, but it's licenseyourphotos.com. I hope your listeners get a lot out of this conversation, and, and I hope they go check out the course and get a lot out of that as well. Yeah, and you're on Instagram at Adam Taylor Photos as well. So again, I'll put all those uh, links in the show notes. But yeah, Adam, thank you so much. That was uh, fantastic to chat with you today, and I wish you uh, continued success uh, with the move in Hawaii. And uh, no doubt you'll be uh, killing it there in in no time at all. So uh, you know, all the best to you, and thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Gene. It's been a blast chatting with you. All right, there you go, the interview with Adam Taylor on how to license your photos. Now, I learned so much from that. There's just, you know, a lot of stuff that I can apply to my own work and I think that all photographers can get a little bit of something. The whole thing might not be relevant, but you're going to learn something from that chat that you might be able to apply to your own work, even if it's Mm. just starting to think about thinking differently. Um, and thinking sort of non-conventionally. Now, we're so excited that um, uh, about this idea of licensing because, as I said, it's something I've delved into quite a bit over the last year. I'm going to delve into it even more this year. Um, And Adam has a course in licensing photos, and we want to share that with you. And you can check it out at ginamilitia.com slash adam. That's com slash Adam to find out a little bit more about the course and about what's involved. But it's really an end-to-end, um, big, long <laughs> tutorial yeah. with uh, 
over 45 videos and lots of content and templates ranging from the terminology that you need to know in the world of licensing, whether you're doing royalty-free or rights-managed licensing, um, which is some of the stuff that I do. I I, sometimes I sell one-off and sometimes as in an outright payment and sometimes I um, get an ongoing licensing fee. Uh, So you'll learn about that. You'll learn about um, ways to generate revenue from your photos in, in the context of the business of image licensing. You'll learn about the kinds of images that are more likely to be popular in terms of licensing because even though you might love that photo of your puppy, <laughs> you know, it may or may not be the kind of image that is actually you in demand. What the photo I just sent you, Val, you don't think that would be licensed? So photo, Gina great. just sent me a photo of Gary um, practically spread eagled. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. He's smiling to, in it. It's Val. beautiful to you, and um, yeah. and that's great. And I applaud that. <laughs> but of course, you know, in in the world of licensing, it needs to be something that people are going to want to pay for. And you know, Gary's got a face that sometimes only a mother will love. no no gary is adorable um except when he's biting me anyway there's also how to deal with clients third-party licensing understanding so the, the nuances and dynamics of the licensing industry and who really the decision makers are. So kind of figuring that out. Um, Adam also covers social media etiquette, which is really important. It's something that I've also had to learn to navigate in terms of the people who are licensing from me. Um, And in terms of, um, you know, how uh, I deal with them and how I attribute them and that sort of thing, there's um, how to organize your contacts. There's a whole range of different case studies so you can see how other photographers are licensing their images in real life examples. So this is a fantastic course and we'd love you to check it out. and we've also written a bit of a commentary on on what we think of the course. Um, and that's over at ginamalaysia.com slash Adam. So it's something that, um, yeah, it's very exciting for us to, um, to let you know about because it's something that we think is the future for Definitely. many photographers. I think especially... so. And Adam's a great teacher too. Yes. And, uh, you know, just explains everything clearly and then all the uh, support material that he gives is fantastic as well. Like, you know, just templates that, you know, well, what do I send in an email when I'm pitching to mm, a client? Well, really he gives useful. you like a great starting point and you can tweak it to make it your own language. But, you know, all these things uh, are really helpful. So, you know, I think by the end of the course, you really would have change your mindset so you're not just going into a shoot thinking I just need to get this sharp and the light right suddenly you're going to see once you start thinking in terms of licensing you see just how many opportunities are there and they are everywhere and you can take advantage but I also want to add that it's not we're not saying that you should convert your photography business solely no. into licensing. This is another revenue stream to add to the mix. And yes. so that, you know, it's particularly useful that you still have those, you know, one-off jobs and gigs and stuff like that because often, you know, you just really enjoy them. 
but you well, can but add you another. Them, Val. You got, well, exactly. that's right. So you're doing you're doing the, the the commercial shoot for a client, but then at the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, I can take these shots and I can now you know extend the the money that i'm going to make so the clients paid or not you don't have to do that you can do a a shoot just for licensing exactly as well you don't have to these are things that you can do so if you're shooting uh you know like i know my goal these i might be out there two or three days shooting you've got another couple of days up your sleeve where you can just focus on or once a month you can say all right i'm going to dedicate the last friday of every month to getting more licensing yeah. images and you know so but 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 when that's in the back of your mind you might be scouting for a completely different shoot and you think oh my god this location or this client I've never thought but now I can you know investigate shooting particularly just to license for those because and this applies to and we talked about this with Adam whatever country you're in now I know in Australia a lot of my Australian-based clients will want will look on stock libraries, and the while the shots are very professional and beautifully shot, they just don't capture our culture the way that it is. So it, it might be just the way that people are sitting around, or there might be just little visual cues like what they're wearing or something like that that it, it isn't quite you know that quintessential Australian shot that they're looking at. So they'll they'll get them uh, they'll they'll have a brief and they'll they'll want that shot. But just imagine if you could um, you know pitch to those sorts of clients so that the when when you shoot you might be in a location that you can then convert to to an image that suits an Australian uh, company that's working there, but it might be a slight slight difference. So it might even be the, the food that's on the table and things like that that might have like more of a, a US slant to it or an Australian slant. And I'm thinking like, you know, inst- on the, the, the food setting, you might put Vegemite for the Aussies <laughs> and there might be like peanut butter and jelly for the, do you know what I mean? Or Oreo cookies. And then in Australia, we would have Tim Tams. You know, so that's the difference. And there's so many things you could do. This got me really excited, this interview, about the possibilities that are out there for all of us. So Adam's blueprint in this course is over at GinaMilitia.com slash Adam. You should check it out. All right, so this brings us almost to the end of this week's episode. Gina, what are you doing in the coming week? So just uh, continuing to uh, be a little bit half lazy (laughs) (laughs) and uh, just enjoying this time. I think it's really important that you do – like we can't be creative 24-7, Val. It just doesn't work. Well, and also to to our North Americans, this is summer for us. This is the lazy time of year. Um, It's a little bit different over here. It's quite – a lot of the places close and stuff like that and have a little bit of a break. So we're not – kind of being fundamentally lazy (laughs) no but it's a nice time to just like uh switch off and catch up with friends so I'm doing a lot of that just like doing a lot of one-on-one meetings I'm doing some some uh short road trips before it all like you know starts up again uh very soon so when it's full on and there's no time to sort of think or scratch yourself so you know a lot of good food and uh good good company I think that's that. That's the the you know what I'm doing, Val. What about you? Sounds good. Well, I am. I need to do a bit of planning for 2021. Now, usually that should really be done 
some people say October, some people say November. I would normally say December, but I neglected to do it because I was kind of a bit distracted and a bit too busy. So uh, yeah, I should have already planned out 2021, but I think my biggest obstacle and the reason why I didn't one another reason why I didn't do it earlier was I'm not sure what to plan for because there's a bit of uncertainty going around in the world and stuff like that. Um, but I need to not use that as an excuse. And um, uh, I yeah, so it's a little bit of kind of hard thinking really, Gina, to work out mm. what I want to do creatively and with my business, with licensing. You know, I'm definitely going to be putting forward some of Adam's principles. But it, it, apart from that, just, you know, on, in a broader sense, what I want to do creatively and I haven't kind of got my handle on, got a handle on that yet. So who knows, I may or may not have that figured out or even have an inkling of that by the time I talk to you next. We'll see. All right. <laughs> Good on. All right. So where do we find you online, Gina? You can find me at ginamilitia.com. That's G-I-N-A-M-I-L-I-C-I-A. I'm on all social media at Gina Militia. And if you want to take your photography to the next level and really, well, let's say this time next year, what do you want to be saying? Do you want to be looking back and going, wow, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I pulled the trigger and really uh, made an effort to improve my photography. Then if that's the case, if you really want to, learn photography, master off-camera flash, really get a handle of, you know, take your images to the next level by editing them better, learn how to pose and direct and, you know, add a bit of money to to the year by uh, starting your own business, then I'd love the opportunity to work with you. Just go to ginamilitia.com and uh, check out the gold community. What about you, Val? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit GinaMilitia.com. 